0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Please be seated. Well, it is good to be back with you this morning. Oh, my goodness. Uh, In 20-plus years of ministry, I think I've missed three Sundays total due to illness, and two have been in the last 30 days. So I'm hoping I'm banking up days for uh, a healthy future uh, as your priest, And uh, we're getting back to our series uh, back on track this summer. uh, As I mentioned uh, before, the preaching and teaching will be focused on the Old Testament lessons. So we're going to spend the summer with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's 12 sons. In fact, we will be in the book of Genesis until August 27th, which is the 13th Sunday after Pentecost, at which point we will move to the study of Moses and the Exodus. So many times I have said, if you're going to understand the Gospels, are going to understand the New Testament, going to understand uh, the biblical and narratival world in which the New Testament is set, understanding the stories in Genesis and Exodus are key, because that is the Key in which those stories are told. It's the waters in which the biblical authors of the New Testament uh, are swimming in. So we're going to get a chance to do that together. But as you're going to find, our journey through Genesis and Exodus is not going to be exhaustive. Uh, Genesis alone is fifty chapters and a dense fifty chapters at that. But we're going to we're going to be doing that um, and. Uh, most of you, I think everyone in here knows, I'm going to be gone for most of July. Uh, please come while I'm gone. I did talk to someone yesterday who said, oh, you're not going to be there in July? Okay, I'm not going to come. I'm like, no, you need to come and be here. But I have, uh, as to maintain continuity, uh, I've instructed uh, the priests that are filling in, and you will be in good hands, uh, that... Uh, they need to not neglect the Old Testament lesson in their teaching and in their preaching. Two weeks ago, we began this, for lack of a better term, sermon series with the call of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and following. Uh, to summarize, God makes a promise to Abraham that through him and his family, his descendants, All the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed. And what is it that they're going to be blessed with? With Christ. The blessing ultimately, the reward ultimately, is relationship with God himself. Which in Genesis 15, when God makes the covenant with Abraham, what does he say? He tells Abraham, do not fear, I am your great reward. So, yes, there's a land flowing with milk and honey, and there's literal descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. But the promise to Abraham is the promise of Christ. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, uh, Paul says that God preached the gospel to Abraham, preached the gospel to him. The promise of Abraham is the promise of Christ. But, as we see as we read through the early chapters of Genesis, I mean, Abraham understands, Sarah understands, that in order for the child, the child of promise, so put that in all caps to come, it it begins with a child. How, How are you going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky if you don't even have? child, a son. God does, as uh, the first verse in our Old Testament lesson says, God did give them a son of promise through which the son of promise would come, Isaac. Isaac, who is, as we'll especially see next week, in the sacrifice of Isaac, or the would-be sacrifice of Isaac, he is a type of the one to come, a type of Christ, and Isaac is born to Abraham and Sarah, in their extreme old age. But if you read the story, it's it's not as straightforward as the summary I just gave you. God makes a promise, and then Isaac is born. Now, in between the promise of a son and the birth of the son of promise, Isaac, and intertwined with the story of the birth of Isaac is the account of, Hagar, and Ishmael. In Genesis chapter 16, Sarah, having been unable to conceive, proposes that Abraham should have a child by her maidservant, Hagar, an Egyptian. Spoiler alert, it doesn't go well. I mean, Hagar has a child. She conceives a child. But when she becomes pregnant, not surprisingly, This strains her relationship with Sarah. She begins to, Hagar begins to despise Sarah, the scripture says. She looks down on her. And why would that have been? Because in hierarchical societies, I mean, Sarah's the boss. She's higher up the food chain. Yet Hagar and not Sarah is pregnant. She's the one. Oh, you, you're over me, yet I am the one that is going to provide an heir for our Lord on earth, Abraham. Sarah's response uh, to Hagar's contempt is to treat her harshly. We find that she regrets her counsel to Abraham and she treats her so poorly that Hagar, barefoot and pregnant as it were, flees into the wilderness. And when she goes into the wilderness, the angel of the Lord appears to her, the messenger of Yahweh. In patristic exegesis, this is the word. This is the second person of the Trinity, encounters her rescues her, and tells her to go back to Sarah and to submit to her. In Genesis 17, the Lord appears to Abraham and tells him that Ishmael, though he will work and make a mighty nation through Ishmael, he's not the son of promise, but that an heir will be born by Sarah. This is Abraham's response. Because I know you got Sarah's response last week in Genesis 18, but we're not going to pile up on her. This is how Abraham initially responded. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his mind, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? and And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Stop there, we have to breathe in as, we, as we'll work our way to today's lesson. Ishma, Abraham's love for his son, Ishmael. But then God said, no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. In Genesis 18, last week's lesson, God repeats his promise in the hearing of Sarah, and she too, as you heard, laughs, saying to herself, I have not yet had a child until now, so I haven't had any children, and my Lord is old also. In other words, Lord, that ship has sailed. Perhaps you've heard the old adage man plans, God laughs. Well, the converse can be true. God plans, and man laughs. But God gets the last laugh, because Isaac means laughter, or he laughs. The child of promise's name is a reminder that God keeps his promises. It's an Ebenezer, his very name is an Ebenezer, a monument to the faithfulness of God. One thing we can learn, and there's many things. Remember, Abraham, the patriarchs are going to teach us this summer. But one thing that we can learn is that God keeps his promises. God fulfills his word. But it's rarely, if ever, on our timetable or in the manner we expect Did you get that? God fulfills his promises, but it's rarely on our timetable or in the manner in which we expect him to fulfill those promises. And the sooner we let go of trying to fulfill God's plans and purposes for our life in accordance with human wisdom, the sooner we learn to wait on the Lord. And there's an irony there. We have to make haste to learn to wait. But the sooner we do those things, the happier we'll be. Moreover, what God is working in and through us is beyond what we could ask or imagine. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. I don't see Abraham and Sarah's laughter as primarily incredulity or unbelief, but but joy. Because if God were to disclose to us the plans that he has for us, we, like Abraham and Sarah, would laugh. Lord, you're going to do what? No way. Laughter brings us to today's Old Testament lesson. For Ishmael, um, a boy, maybe even doing the math, a a young teenager, in the midst of this great festival, celebrating Isaac's weaning, laughs. And the language indicates... uh, The word laughter here indicates mockery or scoffing, which is why it's rendered in certain translations, such as the New King James Version, which we are using uh, as mockery or scoffing. Sarah is offended by this, to say the least. And in the text, this is perhaps a play on Isaac's name. Isaac's name means laughter. Ishmael is laughing. And so perhaps what's happening is that Ishmael, by laughing, is being portrayed as a usurper of the one whose name means laughter. So as we read, Sarah demands that they be cast out. And the Lord tells, and and this is devastating for Abraham, but the Lord tells Abraham this. In a nutshell, listen to your wife. That's good, good advice. Just kind of ice out. No, he says to Abraham, whatever Sarah said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a great nation of your maidservant because he is your seed. We see with with Abraham the model of faith and obedience and trust in the Lord. That God tells him to do something and he does it. And throughout Genesis, God keeps upping the ante. At first it's, leave your country, go, he goes. Here, his, his son, which he loves... Listen to your wife. Send them away. And then we're going to see next week, God asks for the son of promise. So there's there's an increasing. um, The ask keeps increasing and Abraham returns in kind. His, His faith is being tested progressively and it's growing. Now, this story of Hagar and Ishmael on the literal level is sad. It's tragic, especially when considered from the perspective of Hagar and Ishmael themselves. But we see that God's plan was to save the world, so that's all people. But it was to do it through Abraham and Isaac. It was to do it through Abraham and Sarah's descendants. Salvation is through Israel, but for the world. When the Lord Jesus, because Sarah, um, Hagar rather, encounters uh, the word, the messenger of Yahweh at a well. When the Lord Jesus, the Word, met another woman at a well in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, when we think of a woman at a well, we think of her, who was not an Israelite, not Jewish, but a Samaritan, he says to her, salvation is from the Jews. Paul says in Romans 1, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So it's for all people. But then he says, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. That's how the logic of redemption works throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament. That salvation is for all, but it's through Israel. Salvation came through Abraham, through Isaac, but it is for the world. And salvation does not come by genealogy. This is another thing we learn with Hagar and Ishmael, because they encountered the Lord. Does not come on account of ancestry. Does not come according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, according to faith in Christ. And so understanding this passage typologically, spiritually. The purpose of Hagar and Israel being cast out actually shows that inclusion in the family of God is not a matter of ancestry, but a matter of those who believe in Jesus, that those who believe in Jesus are the heirs of the promises to Abraham. Those who believe in Jesus are included in the family of Abraham, in the family of God. This is the argument of the book of Galatians. That you're included in God's family on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ, not on the basis of ethnicity or keeping the Torah. Now Paul, and since I mentioned Galatians, he does something very interesting with Not interesting, but very spicy with the the typology, the allegorical interpretation of the account of Hagar and Ishmael. He actually identifies unbelieving Israel. That is, the heirs of Abraham according to the flesh with Hagar and Ishmael. So yeah, physically, naturally, you're the descendants of Abraham and Sarah. But spiritually... You are the descendants of Hagar and Ishmael. And then he identifies the church comprised of both Jews and Gentiles as heirs of Abraham and Sarah. Nevertheless, we see in the account of Hagar and Ishmael, God's plan to include all the nations of the earth in his family. Through Israel, through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, for the world. Our colic says, O Lord, we beseech thee. Make us to have a perpetual fear and love of thy holy name, for thou never failest to help and govern those whom thou hast set upon the sure foundation of thy loving kindness. God never fails to help those who set their hope on the sure foundation of His loving kindness. In Genesis 16, when the Lord appears to Hagar again, barefoot and pregnant, as it were, as He appears to her in the wilderness. And this is, as an aside, this is why, many, most of the fathers are convinced. Uh, I'm convinced. That that this is not an angel, but that this is the word. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. Because as many times in the Old Testament, when it says the angel of the Lord appeared, the one to whom the angel, the messenger appeared, addresses the one who appeared as God. She encounters the angel of the Lord, the, the messenger of Yahweh, and she calls him, you are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. Ishmael means God hearkens. God hears. God will hear. And God does hear. He hears Ishmael as he cries out in thirst in the wilderness. And God saves him. Psalm 145 says... The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. complicated story it's messy when you're reading it it's kind of hard to figure out who you like who's doing the right thing but what is constant throughout this story what we see without fail throughout the story of Hagar and Ishmael is the goodness and faithfulness of God we see a God who sees us, a God who hears us, a God who saves us. I'm gonna conclude the reflection by Saint John Chrysostom on the kindness and grace of God displayed in his dealings with Hagar and Ishmael concerning our text today. He opened her eyes, the text goes on, not because she couldn't see before this, but because even with her eyes open, nothing was of any help to her before the visitation from on high. Hence, since his intention was to give evidence of care on his part, it says he, speaking of God, opened her eyes. That is, he made clear to her in her ignorance He activated her mind. He showed her the way to find the place flowing with springs of water. She saw a well of running water, the text goes on, and she went and filled the bag and gave the boy to drink. In her neediness, the Lord granted her means. And when she found herself so much at a loss and lacking all hope of survival, he gave evidence in her case of his characteristic generosity By consoling her, and at the same time exercising care for the child. In like manner, whenever God wishes, even if we are utterly alone, even if we are in desperate trouble, even if we have no hope of survival, we need no other assistance, since God's grace is all we require. You see, if we win favor from him, no one will get the better of us, but rather we will prevail against anyone. God was with the boy, the text goes on. He grew up and lived in the desert in similar fashion whenever we have God on our side. And even if we are utterly alone, we will live more securely than those who dwell in the cities. After all, the grace of God is the greatest security and the most impregnable fortification. We are God's children. We share the faith of Abraham. We are part of the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. God loves us. God sees us. He hears us and he is with us. Even in the midst of trying circumstances, which our gospel this morning spells out uh, what the followers of Jesus Christ can expect in their lives. But the Lord is with us and he cares for us. He's gracious, he's slow to anger, he's full of compassion. He answers all those who call upon him in truth. And the truth is Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns now and forever. One God, world without end. Amen.